John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 571.1C1104, certificate number 25200, hat etiquette. Or hatiquette. Hatiquette. As we say. Hatiquette feels like one of the later Roman emperors. Hatiquette is an Indian tribe from Maine, I believe. Uh-huh. Right, right. The hatiquette. Uh, there's a casino named after it. The Hatticate Casino name. I was thinking about their brave help of the Puritans, but sure, maybe you've been to the casino. Hatticate also, wasn't he uh, Wasn't he a character in To Kill a Mockingbird? I think he's an Irish trickster figure. Oh. Oh, Hatticate's got oh. me gold. <laughs> uh, hat etiquette is a thing, I mean, it was a major part of sort of the story of etiquette because everyone wore a hat. And so there was a very complicated set of rules surrounding how you wear a hat and what uh, the responsibilities were for wearing a hat. And then there was a great period where hats were not fashionable in contemporary culture. And during that long uh, interregnum, people lost hat etiquette. It was like many of the etiquettes. It was sort of deemed fuddy-duddy or it was just forgotten. And now hats have made a pretty powerful resurgence. And yet hat etiquette did not come along with them. It's still lost. It's like Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, and I think like a lot of etiquettes, it's regarded by modern people as something we don't need anymore. Hat etiquette was just like don't wear sweatpants on an airplane or don't put your feet up on a table in a restaurant. A lot of modern culture, sort of post-casual Fridays, seems to be primarily about the comfort of the individual rather than the comfort of the group. Would you say that a hat in a restaurant is in the same category though? Like how does a guy across the room wearing a pork pie indoors affect your experience in the same way that his smelly feet up on the table might? Well, this is a good question, right? Like uh, a lot of etiquette seems to be designed around itself. It's arbitrary. It is is arbitrary, although based on concepts uh, back to a time when it wasn't arbitrary. Sure, it didn't start out, you know, some guy being like, hey, let's make up 18 weird rules about hats. Right. And this is going to be hilarious. And in the past, um, people spent a lot more time outdoors. We didn't spend as much time interacting with each other in malls because they didn't exist. And there weren't as many public spaces that were inside spaces. 
there was a lot of time spent both working outside and also interacting with one another on the sidewalk and in the street. So this all starts at a time when hats are pretty functional, probably. Very functional. They're there for warmth, to keep the sun out of your eyes, maybe to keep sweat, to sop up sweat. To keep the rain off. Rain. And and hats have come and gone in fashion, too. Obviously, the 19th century was a heyday for hats, and the early 20th century was a heyday for hats. Uh, but hats have always played a role from time immemorial, for the, all the reasons that you say but in terms of like what the etiquette is of wearing a hat, it is in some ways an opportunity rather than an imposition in that there aren't that many ways to show public respect to people or there aren't that many ways to greet someone with a little bit of flair. And much of the 20th century hat etiquette had to do with this kind of uh, it was all, almost in the family of holding a door open for someone else. And you could make the same argument that holding a door open for someone else is an inconvenience to you. It slows you down. It keep you know, it's sort of their responsibility to grab the door. It leads to awkward border cases where you have to... Where you're holding the door. You're holding and, it a little too long, or yeah. you have to decide, I'm holding it for you, but now I'm letting it go for you, even though we just made eye contact. Sorry. And and the whole thing of, like, I'm holding a door for you, and you don't make eye contact with me or say any kind of, like, greeting. Right. Or then that person goes in and then holds the door for you, and we're like, well, what did we just accomplish? Yeah, right. right. And, and the, the second door, you know. And there used, to be, there used to be rules for this type of thing that were sort of commonly held. And a lot of what we consider to be the old rules were class-based, and so we're glad to be rid of them. But there are some that are just part of, uh, you know, uh, they actually contribute quite a bit to the dignity of living with other people. Sure, they help with those awkward fringe situations. If everyone understands the rules exactly the same way, no occurrence ever comes where I held the door a little too long for a person who thought I wasn't going to, or the opposite. Because right. we've all internalized the exact same door-holding standard. And in particular, wearing fedoras or uh, hats that date to the style of an earlier time, that isn't necessarily an affectation, but it is a bringing back of, it is sort of a reference to a past time. It's an affectation. <laughs> and if Because you're, you're not just thinking, I look good in this. You're thinking, I am now Bogart. Or whatever, like somehow with this hat, it has brought you know it's brought with it all the uh, the gravitas and coolness of the past and the cachet of the past. And I don't look like a computer programmer wearing a fedora. Magically, I now look like uh, a Landalon or something. Well, there are always you can tie uh, modern hat fashion always to some kind of reference, right? Like uh, when Mad Men was a the initial couple seasons of Mad Men where all those, all the male characters were wearing tailored suits and, and pork pie hats or fedoras. Uh, all of a sudden there was a big run on them. Suddenly every tie in America has to lose a third of its width. Yeah. And every J crew suit has these tiny little lapels. And think how odd this must seem to our future listeners. You know, we're talking about this massive gulf, you know, between the 2010s and the early 1960s. Whereas, you know, if you were to tell me that, hey, you know, in the 1590s, this kind of hat came back that was really big in the 1560s, I would be like, wait, really? Like, 
there's not two kinds of hats. There's just old timey hats, right? Well, it would it would seem weird, but we have no way of knowing because the futurelings are experiencing this particular moment in our present, their distant past. Thanks to our project, it's uh, really put a magnifying glass on this particular culmination of our civilization. That's right, and this also is the most documented time in history where we are self-documenting. In the 1560s, there were very few sources, first-hand sources, that even survived to the 1590s, let alone to the present day, uh, whereas now we're relentlessly documenting ourselves, and futurelings, if they choose, will have an awful lot, even digging through the ashes of our ruined civilization, I think we'll have an awful lot of opportunity to see pictures of us in our retro hats. But certainly no resource so complete or so authoritative as the omnibus. The omnibus will be the... It's the, the final word. The, the, this is the... Uh, this will be the impetus for them to dig a little further into the dirt to find all the copies of Esquire magazine. Whatever we decide about hats today here... This is it. This is it. And after this, you either follow omnibus or you do not follow omnibus. And if you don't follow Omnibus, you're going into the chasm. We've divided the human race into two probably <laughs> diametrically opposed tribes who hate each other. Two types of people. The Omnibites and the Nomnibites are uh, Ooh, perpetually the, a war. The Nomnibites, I like it. I don't even know what that would mean. Um, but traditionally, uh, the rules for wearing men's hats and women's hats were, were very different. And, that, and harder on men, am I wrong? Uh, quite a bit, although... When it's all said and done, actually, uh, there is separate but equal burdens. Well, so, they, they have certainly have a, a burden of mass and weight, you know, massively elaborate, ungainly hats. Sometimes, although pillbox hats were quite a bit smaller, but the presumption was that a woman's hat was coordinated with her outfit ah. and so was taken as a part of her whole costume rather than as just something that you put on and off depending on the weather. And also, often, a woman's hat was pinned to her hairstyle in some way. Like, it was much more of a la an elaborate decoration and so difficult to take on and off. She doesn't take her hat on and off when she comes inside because it would be more difficult and less pleasing to the eye. Well, that and, yeah, and just like if you have put yourself together where your hair and your hat are a unified piece, uh, to take the hat off may be... Who knows what's under there? It could be that she could have a live raccoon under there. Yeah, think about the hair disturbance factor, yeah. right? Um, I, I assume that's one reason why many mid-20th century men had these incredibly lacquered heads because they knew they were going to be taking their hat off 15 times a day and they didn't want the resulting chaos. Right, or 50 times a day because the rules about wearing men's hats were that at any point where you entered into a restaurant or a home or a private space, uh, you took your hat off. You took your hat off and left it off. You either handed it to the hat check person, and every restaurant and, and venue had a, a, a coat check and a hat check where you would leave your hat, uh, or you carried it in your hand. And there were even rules for that. You weren't meant to carry it with the Lining facing out. Never display the lining of your hat. Ah, uh, because that would show the, the grossness yeah. of your scalp. Yeah, the staining on your... Uh, so you kind of have to clutch it to your breast while you demonstrate your fuller brushes or whatever. That's right. right. And also you were expected to uh, raise your hat in greeting to uh, certainly to any woman 
Now, the question of whether or not to raise your hat in greeting to another man was uh, there was some divide on that. And there was some suggestion that if you raised your hat to another man, it was an insult because you were suggesting that that man was a woman. It could be a come on, I suppose. Well, true. Also. Now, raising your hat, is it just a token like tip of the brim or are you supposed to actually remove the hat from your head by gripping it from the top? Well, this can be, this is stylistic. I mean, obviously you can do the cowboy move, which is to grab the brim and actually kind of pull it down a little bit, like, howdy, ma'am. Or you can grab it by the crown and kind of tip it forward a little bit. I don't think by the 20th century, very many people were lifting their hat completely off their head. Literally doffing their hat to you? Like the straw boater. (laughs) And the word donning your hat and doffing your hat are both sort of derived from Old English, and they mean essentially like do on or don and do off or doff. Wow. Yeah. Doff and don mean off and on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, do, do on and do off. So if you don a jacket, you are doing it on. The opposite of yawning should be yawfing. Yawfing. <laughs> what is the opposite of yawning? It's just sitting there placid. Unmoving. It's sitting there raptly listening to a, <laughs> this recording, which is not boring. Not boring. Which would never make you yawn. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get Get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. And initially, the idea of saluting, uh, which is also the same genesis of the idea of tipping your hat, dates to a time when a knight would have been wearing a, a, a helmet or a face mask. And it's the act of opening your mask to show your eyes and show your face that you are smiling and friendly rather than standing there with your helmet on. Oh, so a tip of the hat, in fact, comes from, a, from opening your visor. Right. It's and the same and, impulse. And it does effectively, you know, if you tip your hat up, it is a way of showing your face better. Now, if you tip it down as a cowboy or as a, like, as a cool computer programmer... Milady, you're masking it a little bit, but but uh, I guess even if you're pulling it down, the 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 crown of the hat is going up. I guess, which right. is the idea. So that was uh, that was a way of publicly acknowledging that you were encountering someone. Another way of saying good day, and you know, in our modern context, saying hello to people on the street is also a somewhat of a dying art, and partly it is that that we don't want to be intrusive or there's something I think people respond to being 
spoken to on the street very differently than they once did. Well, we're in a chilly northwestern city. The, the, the rules would be different, obviously, if you and I were in a, we're always recorded this in our small Tennessee hometown. Sure. If we were walking around in Georgia, I think you would greet people more frequently than you do in San Francisco. Because in San Francisco, if you say hello to someone, they may be putting their own feces, which they've been collecting in plastic bags, into your coat pockets, uh, which... Yeah, it happened to me a couple of times. It's a way of reducing downside. You know, the person who says hello may then have a clipboard about reproductive rights. You don't know. You right. don't know what. You don't know what's coming after hello. Like if I knew hello and the tip of the hat were the, were, were the end of it. Yeah, I'd be all over it. Well, and that is if you're someone who has adopted a hat, uh, it's another way of sort of wearing the hat. It is a further expression of the hat, which is to utilize it as a way of of uh, increasing civility by tipping it and saying like, good day, hello, good day. And it's the most important accessory for that because you wear it closest to the face, mm -hmm. which is where we make eye contact with each other. It's how we've evolved to recognize each other. You know, it gives you more options than if your uh, affectation were, say, a sword cane mm -hmm. or uh, <laughs> suspenders, for example. Right. I mean, both of those do come with their own little flourishes. Sure. I mean, you do, if you're carrying a sword cane, and I speak from experience, you don't want to brandish the cane you don't want to pull the sword out at every opportunity. Milady, only for women. <laughs> uh, and if you're wearing suspenders, I think the proper way to do it is to hook your thumbs b behind it and go, howdy. <laughs> yeah, you got to lean back uh, self-satisfiedly and think about your recent uh, gubernatorial win in a southern state. <laughs> but I, uh, we're talking about a uh, the resurgence of a certain kind of hat, right? And the uh, like the pork pie hat was adopted by the jazzier elements of hip hop as a uh, an affectation that communicated that you were hip to jazz, right? It's a connection to the past. Right. And now with the sort of banjo-driven folk music scene, which has been popular now for several years, although, again, as you say, futurelings will make no distinction between the banjos of 1860, the banjos of 1960, and the banjos of 2016. They don't understand ironic banjos in the future. Well, and these banjos are no longer ironic. I think they might have been ironic in, in more ironic in 1960 than they are now. <laughs> but now you see a lot of, of popular artists, and that's spread to men's fashion, who are wearing big fedoras and big stensons, uh, big sort of droopy... Yeah, floppy brim, floppy brimmed country guy hat. I'm riding my fan boat through the swamp, mm -hmm. kind of a hat. And it's in uh, the case of this sort of hat, both the computer programmer fedora and also the banjo picking uh, floppy Stetson and the the jazz bow uh, trilby or or pork pie, where you see, I think modern men think of that hat as more a part of their costume rather than a hat that's part of their outerwear. And so their thinking about it is that they don't take it off. This is my look. This is my look. But then you, you get into situations where you're in a nice restaurant and someone's wearing a hat, which is traditionally like a real no-no. But would anybody in our era under 30 know or care, you know? Well, that's why we're recording this podcast. They will now. Because it is, you know, if you are establishing the affectation, then you should, I, in my estimation, take that affectation to its natural conclusion. You would not go to a Renaissance fair wearing a suit of armor and then fail to 
to lift your visor, lift, right? Lift your visor lift your and visor. say, "Milady." I mean, and effectively wearing a fedora is just a ver- it's a different kind of cosplay. If you're going to throw down the gauntlet at a Society for Creative Anachronism event, you're actually going to take that gauntlet off and throw it down. Well, it seems like a missed opportunity. You know, you're, as you describe the man's hat, I realize that it really is a thing to do with your hands yeah. in a lot of situations. And in a post-smoking age where we no longer can, you know, droop a cigarette between our fingers to look cooler, you know, the hat's very important. Something you can take on and off, tip, gesture with, hold, uh, hold over your heart. Sincerely when they, to your heart. When, and particularly when the flag. And so we, uh, I think modern people know, most people would understand you take your hat off when the national anthem is playing. That seems to be the one place it survived. And yet you're also meant to take your hat off when the flag passes as though in a parade or anytime the flag sort of marches by. What if the flag is stationary, but I am marching? If I walk by a flagpole, do I need to? I don't think so. I don't think you have to doff your hat to every flag. The flag's got to be on the move. If the flag's on the move, yeah, you take it off. Uh, It just comes up less in modern life. How often often does anyone carry a flag? The last time I saw a moving flag, it was a while back. But that probably is the last outpost of this kind of etiquette. I mean, national anthem etiquette is a hot button issue again in our era because of its relationship to social protest. Right. But But these yo-yos leaving their stocking caps on or their baseball caps on are not um, doing it out of their solidarity with the underclass. Yeah, people, I mean, last, last time I went to a baseball game, obviously you see a lot of people who leave their hats on and it feels, um, you know, and I think people think particularly now when the baseball hat is by far the major hat that you see, the hat you see most often, that somehow hat etiquette does not apply to baseball hats. That because they are intrinsically casual, you also, you're not bound by the formal rules. But traditionally, flat caps and baseball hats were, it was just as important that you doff them and uh, that you not wear them in restaurants and that you not wear them in someone's home. Would women who normally would be allowed to leave their hats on in most indoor social situations, would they remove their hats for the national anthem? Absolutely. If they are wearing a baseball hat. Now, if they're wearing a, a uh, pillbox hat or a floppy sun hat, no. It's Tradi- attached. Traditionally, women did not take their hat off. But if you're a contemporary woman who's wearing a trilby or a baseball hat, then hat etiquette would apply to you too. I wonder if what we're seeing is the decreasing influence of military influence on civilian life. You know, our, our notion of people grabbing a hat by a brim and tipping it or, and or bringing a hand up to salute, taking that off and putting it over a chest for an anthem. You know, you imagine a, a soldier doing that. And that's something maybe we have less connection with or, you know, less desire to see it as a, as a way to mold civilian society. Yeah, I think post-Vietnam, the relationship of uh, the civilian world to the idea of sort of a military or a nationalistic idea, you know, we, it became much more contentious. Uh, and now we're living in a world where the civilian world and the military world are, um, well, depending. Uh, in some quarters, they're seen as uh, that being quite a contentious relationship and in other enormous swaths of American social life. Maybe a little too cozy? Yeah, or, or a sense of uh, never questioning the military, you know, support our troops level of feeling that solidarity with the military. But in a lot of cases, even the people from that side of the, I guess, political spectrum 
A lot of them haven't actually served in the military. And I think part of that is, uh, that's another example of what you're saying, that, it, that in the post-World War II era, a lot of citizens had military service in their background. Everybody had somebody in their family. They would have had lots of role models for somebody doing the right thing with his hat all the time. Right. Uh, and post-Vietnam, it, well, it coincides, right? A less direct connection to the military and also a lot fewer hats. And the death of the hat... Yeah, how did... The, what, what even led to that? Well, the, the, the popular myth is that John F. Kennedy was responsible for, for the hat going away. Right, He supposedly did not wear a hat at his inauguration, and that spelled the death of the hat because he was a young, hip, contemporary, sporty president, and people post-Kennedy uh, wanted to emulate that kind of sportiness, and the hat was fuddy-duddy. It's Eisenhower-era older man. Right. But in fact, that's a myth. Kennedy not only wore a hat to his inauguration, but he actually wore a top hat. Uh, he reinstated a more formal hat because Eisenhower was the first president from Lincoln who wore a Homburg. He didn't wear a top hat, and that was an expression, I think, of his informality. Coming from a military background, he'd worn a hat as part of his uniform his whole career, and he wasn't interested. He thought, I think, probably that a top hat was a little goofy-looking. Kennedy looks very goofy in the top hat photos. It's uh, maybe just because we don't see him like looking like the Monopoly guy, that yeah. often. He does look goofy in the top hat, and it's hard for a modern person to not look goofy in a top hat unless you're Slash and you're wearing a leather top hat. <laughs> uh, but Slash also has the hair to really pull off a top hat. Kennedy does not. Nixon wore a top hat as well on his inauguration day. But Johnson didn't. Uh, president uh, Johnson, who followed Kennedy, was the first president not to wear any hat. And that's his image, right? Yeah. Cattle ranch kind of straight shooter. Well, although uh, Lyndon Johnson was famous for his hat, it was just that he wore a white Stetson. Right. A, a dude wears a top hat. Yeah, that's right. That's, uh, that's right. A, a East Coast uh, big city feller, whereas Johnson was a man of the people. And wore his white Stetson. And Carter was the first one to say no top hat at all. No know? hat. And that's that's the beginning of the hatless era, which is later than many people imagine. Although Reagan uh, very famously wore a cowboy hat, uh, and one of the most iconic pictures of of Ronald Reagan was his cowboy hat. Now, of course, Ron lived in Santa Barbara. It's not like <laughs> he needed a. <laughs> he cowboy wasn't out hat. roping doggies that often, <laughs> but but it was part of his image as an American uh, cowboy. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. 
there's a you know there's a Mad Men episode where they're uh, bemoaning the death of the Hat, and the young up up and comer Pete Campbell says, "You know who else doesn't wear a hat? Elvis." That's, that's right. what we're dealing with. And that's probably true. Like that's more of what happened than JFK. Well, I that, would say. the hat was dying even before that, quite a bit before that. And there's an argument to be made that prior to World War II, most people didn't own a car and got around via public transit and walked places. I mean, it was... Um, transit was better in most American cities then than it is now. Quite a bit better. Number of streetcar lines and trolleys everywhere trolleys and buses. And there was an expectation that you'd walk until you got to a trolley and, and ride it downtown. And those conveyances had tall ceilings, but you also expected when you left the house that you were going to be outside, uh, both for your walk to the trolley and your walk around town. There wasn't this door to door sense of like, get in your car, go where you're going. And so hats were uh, both functional and also there wasn't any inconvenience to wearing them. There were hat check places and you could wear it on a bus and et cetera. Uh, and the rules for wearing hats in public spaces are you can wear it on a bus. You can wear it in a lobby. You can wear it in a hallway of a public building. So anywhere that is considered sort of public space, you're allowed to keep your hat on. Even an elevator in a public building, although not an elevator in an apartment building. Uh, a man would always tip his hat to a woman in uh, outdoors, but if they stopped to talk, he was expected to take his hat off as a gesture of respect while they were in conversation. For the duration of the conversation. Yeah, and hold it in your hands, right? As a sort of like... It's proper. Yeah, that's right. It's proper and respectful. But after the war, private car ownership exploded, and these new cars were much sleeker. They had uh, rounded roof lines and a lot less room in the car for a hat. So you had this perfect storm of it's much harder to wear a hat in your car, and uh, there's, it's much less useful to have a hat because you're, you're leaving your house in your own car and you're going to where you're going. You park out front. I think probably citizens in the early 50s found that they spent much more time with their hat off than their hat on. Was there an increase in young neighborhood rascals knocking men's top hats off with snowballs? I think that was a Woodrow Wilson era problem. <laughs> uh, but we, the nation made its way through that? Yeah, those, those kids were just dying for a time when... Uh, I, I find wearing a hat to feel physically confining and awkward. Like I don't enjoy the feeling of having my head surrounded in felt. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's just an effect of living in a hat-free age, you know, if I would have just sucked it up if I had to do it. Well, we don't wear spats either or vests, really, like double-breasted vests, typically. You don't wear a suit every day and... and Certainly before the war, men were expected to wear a suit even if they were a laborer. And I assume they didn't think that was comfortable the same way you and I might not find a suit the most comfortable thing to wear. Well, again, it played a social role, but also a lot of times the thought technology of thinking, well, wait a minute, why is there a prohibition on wearing, for instance, khaki pants in public, which there once was. Khaki pants were considered something you would wear around the yard. They're just not formal enough? Is yeah, they're a very casual pant and, and definitely not jeans in public. Not, unless, my, not dungarees. No, unless, you are, unless you're working in a boiler room. But uh, during the war, again, World War II, the enlisted people wore jeans, denim, 
and the officers wore khakis as part of their uniform, which was a suit, but a khaki-colored one. And so when they returned from the war, they brought those styles back home, and, and the T-shirt was, uh, was kind of part of a uniform. Jeans and T-shirt was. Right. But it was really the period in the Roaring Twenties where the idea of sporting clothes as a thing you would wear around town came into the public idea. The uh, straw boater, the polo shirt, these kind of clothes that were formerly just worn as athletic gear. Even a double-breasted blazer was considered kind of rakishly sporting. Does that mean in the future everyone's going to be, you know, if that trend were to continue, in the future everyone will be wearing, like, Usain Bolt track suits, for example? Maybe just uh, maybe just speedos. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, global warming plus growing informality of etiquette will result in everyone wearing speedos everywhere. There is a, a really, I think, widespread contemporary notion that your personal comfort trumps the idea of a collective notion of what um, the expectations are. Now, certainly, you can be fashionable and make whatever ch- style choice you want. But you're not bound by convention to do any particular thing. And that's how you get people on airplanes that not only take their shoes off, but put their stocking feet up on the seat in front of them. I've seen people take their socks off. Right. It's which a is, nightmare. Which, which does, you know, it does become intrusive. Um, but I guess some of the etiquette of style is it presumes that violating those rules is intrusive upon the eye and the mind of your of your fellow citizen. Which ceases to become true if once everyone's doing it. Once everyone is wearing a baseball hat in a nice restaurant, um, it's only the anachronist who is sitting there fuming into their soup about it. The anachronist does look better. They get a... They get the last laugh there. Well, and what they get is the satisfaction of the performance of style, I guess. And when and the idea that being out in public is partially a public performance. You're here conscious of other people and conscious of looking at them and being looked at. They also get the hat advantage of, if they're balding, being able to wear a hat. Well, and this is another thing, right? You see an awful lot of hats now that appear to be balding hats where if, I mean, like for instance, the edge, um, wears a hat or Billy Gibbons, Ron these, Howard, these rock musicians wear hats an awful lot more than uh, need be like the edge. There are pictures of the edge wearing his beanie hat at his daughter's wedding. As he's walking <laughs> her down the aisle, he's wearing this beanie hat where it's like, not even for the wedding. Would you take off the hat? <laughs> And that, that's part of, and also the casual Fridayization of the modern workplace in very recent memory. In fact, the idea that there would be a dress code at work has gone by the wayside and we've created a world where, I mean, in Silicon Valley, I have like firsthand experience of the Silicon Valley culture being $750 cashmere t-shirts which you're wearing to communicate how cash and normal you are, but it's still like a total classist slap in the face. I love watching these kind of uh, 50s rebel kind of movies that we were talking about in our recording about teen death ballads. 
And looking at all these terrible greasers and menaces to society, they're always wearing suits and ties, you know? Absolutely. Like James Dean, you know, lock up your daughters. Here comes a guy. Well, he's wearing a suit and a tie, but he's probably bad news. Well, the Beatles came on the scene and shocked everyone with their mop top haircuts and like totally tailored suits. They're wearing and ties. identical tailored suits <laughs> all the time. Those bad boys. But they did not wear hats. So the the question I guess is does hat etiquette survive in our in our much more libertarian culture? If you don a hat, do you have an equal responsibility to doff it? I still see doffing in nicer restaurants. Seattle is an epicenter of casual culture. You can't go out to eat anywhere here without seeing somebody wearing a football jersey. Yeah. But I feel like there is still some recognition that you shouldn't be leaving the baseball cap on. It's not totally vestigial now. Yeah. And I think that that's, I mean, personally, if we're making an omnibus for our futurelings and they are as confused or more confused about what the responsibilities are of wearing a hat, I hope that hat etiquette, along with quite a few other examples of what used to fill up an Emily Post or Miss Manners book, uh, that those things do survive because they are part of the social lubricant, which as we near what we feel is a looming apocalypse, a big part of how we feel like we're tumbling headlong into that apocalypse is a feeling of, of a loss of community and a loss of shared space, a loss of shared understanding. And although etiquette may feel obtrusive or arbitrary or that it's perpetuating a an obsolete class system we can we can repurpose that etiquette and make it not about class but about style or about courtesy and i don't think courtesy is a thing we should ever think of as having gone out of fashion and that concludes hat etiquette Entry 571.1C1104, certificate number 25200, in the omnibus. In the unlikely event that hat etiquette and social media still exist in your era, you may be able to find our tweets archived at at Omnibus Project, while John and I maintained the individual handles at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick, not respectively, and that's the opposite order of what I should have said. What's the opposite of respectively? Respoftably? Uh, Respoftably. John also maintained an Instagram account under the same name. Our address for email, if you're familiar with the conventions of that written electronic communication, was omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, it seems like standards are declining at a rapid, rapid rate. And uh, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive this era where people wear hats in restaurants. And you and I do this podcast in Speedos every week. Every week we do it in Speedos and I also wear a mermaid tail. That's actually not fashion related. It's not. That's That's, just, that's at your doctor's request. Um, but we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear, uh, we hope it never comes. If the worst does come, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But... If the Lord above allows, or the Lord below, or the side lords, if the pantheon of lords... There are side lords? There could be. Could be side lords. Uh, We hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.